I think the habits can actually be either a tool, a means to the end, or they can actually become a distraction if we're not careful. Yeah. Uh, because they're not the point. God is the point. And they're only there to help us pursue God. Hi there, friends, and welcome to episode 64 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff, and I'm an author and a pastor, and really happy to be with you today to bring you this interview with Daryl Dash. Daryl is a church planter, a pastor in Toronto, uh, is also the author of a book called How to Grow, Applying the Gospel to All of Life. Uh, Him and his wife, Charlene, also have founded uh, a website called Gospel for Life, which is a resource that's designed to help people grow in their life of faith. It was a really great interview that Daryl and I had, and a big part of this focus for today is going to be around how do you build healthy habits for your spirituality, and Daryl is really big on how these habits need to be built on an individual basis, so uh, it's not going to look the same for each person, so he's really clear on what works for him Uh, is not what works for his wife, is not likely what's going to work for you, but he's got some really great insight into how to look at your own life to try to figure out how you can have uh, better habits that are going to feed your uh, spiritual life, your life with God. So it's a great interview. I know you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, I also wanted to let you know today uh, that next week is uh, Canadian Thanksgiving. And uh, so that's uh, second Monday of October is the Canadian Thanksgiving holiday. And that's uh, Monday is often my day for putting the podcast together, doing my editing and things like that so that it can be out on Tuesday or Wednesday sometimes. And I've just decided uh, next week I'm just going to relax, take the take the day off, spend some time with family and with our church. We've got a nice Thanksgiving supper that's being planned at our church on uh, on the Monday. And so uh, there won't be a podcast next week during Thanksgiving week. Uh, and uh, and we'll have to see about the following week as well, because uh, I've got a few other big things coming up. Like uh, I've got a, a book launch, a co-book launch between my mom and I, uh, my mom's book and a latest book. And my latest book both came out around the same time. And we're doing a mother-son book launch at McNally Robinson Booksellers uh, here in Winnipeg in Canada. And uh, that's just going to be a really fun event. And that's on October 14th at uh, 2 o'clock at McNally Robinson Bookstore. So if you're local and you happen to be listening to this, uh, feel free to come on out to that event and uh, check out our books. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Uh, That is also... um, my birthday weekend and so we'll see if another podcast gets out uh, around that time so there'll be for sure a week off maybe two from the podcast and uh, and I have a few other things that I want to announce um, but I'm not quite ready to announce those things yet Um, they'll be coming up soon and they may impact the podcast a little bit Uh, but um, but for now we have a really great interview today uh, and uh, and we'll get to all that future stuff in the future. Today, this interview with Daryl Dash, uh, I also just need to let you know um, the beginning part of this audio, for some reason, didn't work out as I had planned. And so we joined this audio, this interview a bit midstream. Uh, I asked Daryl 
to tell us a bit about his story of um, how uh, an online health company impacted his understanding of discipleship. And so we're about to kind of just join into that story. It is at the beginning of the story, but you kind of miss the preamble leading up to it. Um, so just uh, we'll just jump right in here. Uh, and I know um, as this interview gets going, you're really going to enjoy this one. So here's my interview with Daryl Dash. Yeah, my wife came home one day and she said, uh, she's an accountant. She said, oh, I've got a new client. And uh, that's interesting. So she said, it's an online nutrition coaching company. So uh, I was, you know, that there's nothing shadier <laughs> than an online nutrition coaching company. It's uh, like, what have you done? Right. And uh, what I discovered is these guys have, uh, PhDs in nutrition science and not just one of them. Like, uh, there were about four or five of them on staff that had written major books. They were consulting for sports teams. Uh, they've written huge textbooks on nutrition science. And, uh, I began to watch my wife. She worked for them and just being exposed to their knowledge, uh, over the course of a little while, she lost, I think 60 pounds. So all of a sudden I was like, and it wasn't doing weird stuff either. So it was, it was just practicing good habits. And uh, I, as I began to learn about them, I realized like they've got all the theoretical knowledge and somehow they've been able to take it and bring it down to, this is what you do. These are the habits that you can follow to pursue health in your life. And I began to think, you know, as uh, you're a pastor, like I am, we have a wealth of theological knowledge. Uh, we can, most of us anyway, can go on and on about some of the richest truths about God. And yet the reality is we haven't always, at least I haven't always been good at bringing it down to, okay, here's how you can translate this into your daily life. Here's some habits you can build that will actually put you on the path of growth. So I was a little bit convicted actually watching a nutrition company uh, do it better than I was doing it. So that's a little bit of the story behind uh, why we began to explore this. Yeah, and that's really cool. And I think um, one of the things we can talk about this around habits, because you mentioned that several times, um, is that I think uh, sometimes we think about applying biblical truths or theological truth to our lives. A lot of times that's kind of looked like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do a sermon on, you know, the five steps to a healthy marriage and nothing necessarily wrong with that. But that's not really the kind of thing you're talking about here. You're talking about what are some basic uh, habits that you can develop and and then how to actually develop those habits in your daily life in order to have a, a healthy relationship with God, but also to have a growing relationship. Um, and so I think you're not necessarily talking about this, let's just take the Bible and repackage it into something that's applicable as though the Bible isn't applicable. <laughs> um, you're talking about a different kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think what I'm talking about, I, I mean, one of the charges against pastors is we're really good at teaching people how to uh, how to function well as church members. Yeah. And uh, we're not so good at translating how do we take the riches of the gospel and apply them, you know, from the, the minute you wake up in the morning to the minute you go to bed at night uh, and actually even in your sleep uh, 24-7. So, yeah, I, so I absolutely agree. We don't need to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. It is the most relevant thing by itself. What we need to do is we need to uh, take the riches that are revealed in the, the word of God and somehow weave them into our lives. So that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. 
Yeah, yeah that's really good. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the book, um, the part I want to spend the most time on is actually talking about around these habits. But I also want to mention right at the very top of things is that while the book is really practical, you really begin with the gospel. And so you spend a whole chapter really just saying this is, we've got to understand this first before we really go anywhere else. And um, we don't need to spend necessarily a ton of time <laughs> talking about the gospel here today. If we, um, Although that'd be wonderful, that'd be great. Um, but I do want our listeners to understand that, that, um, that having a grasp of the gospel, what it is that's the good news and understanding as well that there's, um, I think interwoven in the book is the sense of grace that, you know, that you're going to develop habits. You're not going to do it perfectly, but, but it's God, it's through God's grace that we grow. And I think that's so important. So I don't know if you want to say more about that, um, about the importance of kind of putting the gospel first in, in kind of developing spiritual, healthy spiritual habits. Yeah. I'm ashamed Matthew to admit this, but I kind of had the paradigm for a long time that, uh, of course, we need the gospel. I think all of us would affirm that. But it's, you know, it's it's like you believe. Now what? So you've, you've got the gospel. Uh, how do we grow? And it was almost like, well, that was a good starting point. But now it's up to us to figure out, you know, what to do. And uh, Tim Keller is the guy who's famous for saying that uh, the gospel isn't just the beginning, the doorway to Christianity, but it's the A and I can say this with you as a Canadian, A to Z, yeah. of, uh, for the American listeners, A to Z of Christianity. So. And as a Canadian, is A spelled E-H? Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I caught myself on one interview saying Z, and they were looking at me like, what? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's what we need every day, and yeah. it's not something we leave behind. It's actually a very power uh, for growth, and it's something that we need. You know, the opposite is really self-help Christianity, which is, you know, try harder, uh, do more. And man, we, <laughs> I don't know about you, I've tried that and it's frustrating. It doesn't work. So I think it's a lot better to tap into the power of the gospel and look for ways to apply it to our lives on a daily basis. Yeah, I think there's a really interesting thing. Like there's, you had a bit about self-help in the early part of that book. And, and I've read a bunch of self-help books as well. And, uh, and, you know, there's varying degrees of it working or not, uh, I find. Um, but I, but I found that in, you know, as I reflect on those, it's, it's that as a Christian, I have to be discerning about what tools might I learn from this, like to, to read like 10 self-help books and think, oh, now my life is going to be solved. It doesn't really work that way. Um, but I might learn about a whole bunch of helpful things that I might be able to use, but I've got to use them in the context of what it means to be in relationship with God and what the yeah. gospel is. Like it, it doesn't, and I, and I sense that throughout the rest of the book as well, especially when you talk about habits, there's some ideas in there that are not necessarily, these aren't like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to the book of Proverbs and find out about, you know, set measurable uh, goals or things like that. Right. Um, but uh, it, they're, they're quote unquote secular ideas, but I think we can use those things, but it's just trying to figure out how do we set those in a context? At least that's how I've, I've kind of approached things. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think you're right. Um, we can learn from everyone. We can learn from uh, secular literature, but in the end, what we need is a heart change. So yeah. uh, apart from the gospel, we're just left trying to improve uh, something that really isn't alive to God. And 
So it's a lot better to begin with, okay, like, what can the gospel, how can the gospel make me alive? How can the gospel do with our greatest problem? And then what can I do to put myself, I love the idea of putting ourselves in the passive grace. So even the habits, the power isn't in the habits themselves. The power, they're only a means to an end. And so, like, I would say Chuck, or, you know, I, I would even say adjust or tweak the habits because the point isn't the habit. The point is getting in the path of grace so that God can operate in your life. So uh, that's the key, the key. I think the habits can actually be either a tool, a means to the end, or they can actually become a distraction if we're not careful yeah. uh, because they're not the point. God is the point and they're only there to help us pursue God. Yeah. Um, why don't we, why don't we kind of jump in about, uh, about this habit building thing and, and how that happens and why that's so important. So um, we've, we've talked a lot already, just kind of mentioning it, but why would you say that, uh, that we need to develop habits per se as a way to, to grow in our faith? So uh, most people don't realize how much of our lives we uh, run just by habits. Uh, it's amazing. I think uh, depending on who you talk to, pretty much half of our life is run kind of on autopilot. And uh, so we already have habits and our habits are either serving us well or they're not Uh, because we run most of our life automatically. That's really where we need to begin to develop habits. So, um, you know, for instance, every night I go to bed, I don't have to think about, I wonder what side I should sleep on. Uh, I know like I'm just automatically heading and the same thing in the morning. I don't wake up and go like, Oh, what am I going to do now? I kind of have a routine that I've established. And I've tweaked that over the years to help me hopefully be effective. And I think it's the same thing with our, you know, spiritual growth. Instead of waking up every day and going, wow, I wonder how, like, what could I do to serve and pursue God and be aware of his presence every day? It's a lot better if we think that through. And then that just begins to happen automatically in our lives. So I think that's the thing. If if it's left to just every day waking up and uh, thinking through, you know, probably is not going to happen. Our life is too complex. But if we take some time to think about how can this kind of happen automatically in my life that I'm, you know, and we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the habits we need to pursue, but if those just become a regular automatic part of our life, it's a lot better than just leaving it to every day trying to figure out how it works. Mm, Yeah. So can we talk, let's talk about uh, maybe that you you identify sort of three core habits and then six practices. We won't necessarily get to all of that, but maybe we can talk a little bit about the three core ones. Um, and then I'd like to come back if we can, uh, so you can remind me if I forget, uh, but come back to how do we then in fact start to implement these? Like how, if, if we've, if we've tried to, I kind of, one of them is prayer basically. Um, and if we've tried to figure out, well, how do I play, pray more regularly and we, and we failed at that, you know, what can we do to, to start to do that? Um, so maybe let's just start with like, what are those three core habits and, and just kind of guide us through that a little bit. Yeah. So a bit of background to these habits, um, you know, there's, I I think the old term for these are spiritual disciplines. And uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, but you read a book on spiritual disciplines and it's like, Oh my goodness. Like there's about a dozen things I need to be doing. And uh, I, I'm not good at any of them. So uh, we get overwhelmed. And so I was curious a few years ago, Lifeway did a study and they basically, Lifeway is a big organization in the States. They have a research division 
And they said, okay, like, what are the things that Christians should look like when they're mature? They called these, um, I think, output goals. And then they said, okay, what are the things that people can do that correlate with those showing up in your life? And uh, so it was curious. They did a study and they looked at all the spiritual disciplines. And in the end, they came up with just a few that really have a, a huge influence on the outcomes. And uh, I tweaked them a little bit, so I haven't exactly copied what they've said. But and I, but then I looked at people that I knew who had grown spiritually that I really looked up to. I looked at their lives, and this is more um, anecdotal, but. I was looking at them and going like, how have they grown? Like, and so it bears out both through research and personal observation. The first one is taking in the word of God. And it really doesn't matter. It could be reading. It could be listening to scripture. Uh, I was talking to a pastor and he said, man, I, my reading the Bible got really bogged down. I wasn't enjoying it at all anymore. And all of a sudden he just started going for walks and putting on his earphones and listening to the Bible, and it completely changed things. So mm. whatever works, it could be reading in groups or through uh, an amazing, like there's some really good apps these days, or it could be reading, kind of old school stuff. But everyone I know who's growing spiritually and likely found this are regularly reading and listening to the scripture. Um, and then, as you mentioned, prayer. So here's the funny thing about prayer. Everybody can do it. I talked to an atheist recently and she admitted that she prayed yeah. and facing a crisis. And it was just instinctive within her to pray. And she's like, I don't know who I was praying to. I don't think it was, but there was just something in me that felt like I had to pray. Right. So anyone can do it. The, here's the other irony though. Even the most mature believer in Jesus Christ feels like they are not good at prayer. Yeah. So I, I think take the pressure off. Like, Prayer is so simple. I think prayer is simply dependence upon God and living that out where we need, it's this instinctive throwing ourselves on God. And uh, I think, I mean, we can talk about prayer a bit more. I think some of the problem with, as I've observed prayer in my life, is I think I've got to approach God all put together, you know, approach God like, hey, God, it's me, you know, and it's, it's almost like, no, we need to come to God in complete honesty just tell him what's on our mind, cast everything on him. It can be messy. It can be raw. It can be raw and honest with him. Um, so prayer is the other thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll just interject. That was the one that Lifeway didn't include. It wasn't part of their findings. So Ooh. that was interesting, but I think it's actually absolutely essential. Yeah. <laughs> one is pursuing worship and fellowship within church community. And it's a whole idea. Uh, we're pastors. We're not supposed to say this. Church is frustrating. Yeah. Church is inconvenient. Uh, church is messy and uh, it's costly and yet it's essential. So we weren't meant to grow alone. We were meant, and it's, it's, by the way, it's not, that's why I say pursuing worship and fellowship in a church. It's not just simply about attending a church service. That's part of it. That's, I think that's important, but it's actually, that's only the beginning. It's about, you know, really engaging and being part of a community, living life in community with other believers, uh, where they know you could do this appropriately and inappropriately. I'm talking about appropriately, where they know what's going on in your life. They know the mess of your life and you know the mess in their life and you're encouraging each other and watching out for each other. And uh, Lifeway found that people who read or listen to scripture 
and actually attend worship and then go deeper in community in a church or growing. So, yeah, I think these are the, the key habits. Read, listen to the Bible, pray, and then get involved in a church, not just at a surface level, but at a deep level. Mm-hmm. So I think these three, as I look at people, everyone I know who's growing spiritually practices those three. When I look at people who are stuck spiritually, usually it's because one or more of those have gotten off track in their lives. So I wouldn't say they're, you know, if you do these things are an automatic formula for growth. I think, again, they're only a means to an end, but I think when we engage them mm-hmm. uh, seriously from the, the heart, um, they're really useful for putting us in the path of grace. Um, I really loved your, your section on the church as well. And kind of, um, uh, people need to go and get the book just to read that section, because I think sometimes and even in when you're describing the way the church is, I'm immediately thinking, oh, I don't know if our church is like that. You know, <laughs> are we all sharing and and everyone feels no, no, that that's not happening for everyone. Um, but I really believe in after, you know, I've, I've pastored in two congregations, but I've, I've seen many other churches. And that is happening for people in those congregations. Um, is it right across the board? Not usually. Um, and so I, I say that because I think sometimes people can be frustrated with their congregation thinking, well, my church isn't like that. Like nobody really cares about anybody. But my suspicion is, is that the, there is that caring going on in the congregation. Um, unless there's just some really toxic thing going on in, in that church, like that, that can be the reality as well. But, um, but my experience has been is that sometimes there are some places where you have to be the person who takes the step to start that sharing and you'll suddenly realize, Oh, there are five people. There are eight people. There is, there are two other people. And suddenly there's a connection because you've been the one and you're part of the church. So if you're not also sharing and, and, uh, and being open with people, then it's really hard for that to be happening for you. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, totally makes sense. Um, you know, I, I tell people because we're a church plant in Toronto, uh, we are not at all impressive. Uh, so if you if you're looking for good music, man, we're like I'm looking at my window and I can see where uh, a major concert venue <laughs> and like a five minute walk. You can be there if you're looking for entertainment. We're a five minute walk from the BMO field where we have like the Toronto Argos play and the sure. Toronto FC. You know, if you go down the list. We offer nothing on terms of being impressive. We're there's nothing impressive about us. But the thing I appreciate is even amidst the Mets, we have some people who are have given us the gift of honesty. And uh, so that you know, we had a, a small group last night, um, and one of the ladies in our our small group, the first time she came out, she was going through a divorce, and so she would she was like, you know, usually you you just you know, you wait a month or two before you open up. The first time she came up, she just fell apart. Mm. And she said, I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling so disappointed. And instantly around the room, you know, she thought she was leaning on us and she was, but what she didn't realize is at the same time, she was giving us a huge gift. Yeah. And all of a sudden the masks were dropping and people were able to say, yeah, I'm struggling too. And I think you're right. Sometimes it takes somebody to go first and say, hey, is anybody else feeling this too? Is anybody else struggling? Uh, so there was a book. I keep, I keep forgetting the name of the book. 
But somebody got up, fed up with the um, facade, and one day just stood up at church and said, I am so sick of pretending. Here is what I'm going through. And he was just raw about some messy stuff in his life. And he sat down just feeling completely embarrassed and exposed. Mm. The next person who got up stood up and said, is that all you got? (laughs) He said, let me tell you about my life. And he began to open up about the mess in his life. And I love that whole idea. I know there's wrong ways of, like, I'm not saying anybody, everybody should show up at church and, you know, just spill their guts and be, I think there's uh, appropriate ways to share and inappropriate ways to share. But I like the whole idea of, of a church being not a place where we pretend, but a place where in appropriate ways, we're honest about where we're at and where we're, we're meeting each other. You know, you can't love somebody if you're not, if you don't see them as who they truly are. Like the only way to give and receive love is actually for our, our real selves to be exposed. Mm-hmm. And that way we can be encouraged and challenged where we need it. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, I'm saying that like, man, that just happens that's a miracle of God when that happens. So I think one of the things we can do is pray that that happens a lot more in our churches. Yeah, I think so too. And and again, like in the, in the section where you talk about this in the book, um, I think you're really encouraging to people to um, invest in their community and to participate in their community. Like you even had a thing on, you know, show up, like there's a ministry in showing up. Um, And I've seen many, many people saying, Oh, you know, my church didn't support me. And like, well, you weren't really there. Like that's, you know, people try, you didn't return emails. You didn't return, like people tried to figure out how to reach out to you and just, you just made it really hard. And sometimes we need to do a better job as the church for sure in, in kind of reaching out and, and helping people in their lives. But it's, there is a two way street there. That's a little tricky. Um, So we are the people of God. It's, it's God's instrument on earth for God's mission and ministry. But at the same time, it's a, there's a human element and human institution there that we have to kind of take some responsibility for. So I think you did a really good job of that balance. So you didn't say it in these words that I'm saying, but you did a good job of that balance between um, needing something from the church and also participating in the church. And it was great. Um, so people good. should just go read that. <laughs> good, good to hear. Um, so those are kind of the three core habits, reading the Bible, participation in the life of the church, uh, prayer. Um, but then what do people do? Like they might've heard these things before. I hope they actually have heard these things before that you should, yeah, you should be reading the Bible. You should be praying. You should be in the church, but then how do people, when they've struggled with that, or maybe they've been trying to figure out, well, yeah, I'm not one of those. I can read my Bible every day kind of people. So I just, I gave up. So, cause I just tried and tried and it doesn't work for me. Yeah. How do you help people with that? So one of the things in the chapter on building habits, um, I talk, I think I talk a little bit about this. I really appreciated that my wife is so different than I am. Mm-hmm. So um, what a couple of years ago, I told people, oh, I don't know if you've heard of the Bible Project. Uh, it's a series of videos and they have a reading yeah, plan. Yeah. And I said, okay, I want everyone to try reading or following this um, this year. And so my wife did. A lot of people did. A little while later, my wife came back to me. She said, you just ruined my practice of reading scripture. You've imposed what works for you on me. And she said, you know, I had, I actually had something good going and you interrupted that. And now I've got to figure out how to get back. And uh, so I think 
I really love that because she's so, and I think this is true. We're all different when it comes to building habits. Hmm. The thing is books are usually written by somebody who's found something that works for them. And then they're saying to everybody, oh, I figured this out. You need to figure it out the same way that I did. Right. What, what's important is I think we need to figure out, you know, given your personality and your life stage, you know, what works for you. So what I would say to people is uh, when you, you know, look back at your past and instead of focusing on what hasn't worked in the past, look for the times when you've actually effectively built habits uh what's has it been you know certain social supports has it been an accountability structure has it been a time of day has it been you know certain things you need to do to prepare yourself but kind of analyze your past and go i can see this is when i really thrive and am able to build new patterns that work for me Mm -hmm. and kind of hack yourself like to to paraphrase somebody else write your own owner's manual uh, another way of writing, saying that, I think in a more spiritual way, is create a rule of life. So no, don't just take somebody's rule of life or owner's manual and think it'll work for you, but really begin to hack yourself. So one of the chapters I give seven uh, key, seven ways to build habits in your life. And uh, I would say, like, those are helpful, I think. The, main, the most important thing is figure out what works for you. Okay. So, so tell me something that works for you then that people are not going to necessarily model themselves after that, but maybe it'll spring a uh, twig something for someone. Yeah. What works for me is, um, uh, I, I set a morning routine mm-hmm. and because I, I would wake up. So here's my default. My, my normal mode would be to wake up, to pick up my phone, check in on Facebook, check my emails. And an hour later kind of be sucked into this vortex of, what am I doing? Right. And then at the end of it, I'm, I feel kind of like, this is crazy. Like I've wasted an hour and near the end, you're just sort of scrolling and you don't even know what you're looking for. Right? What I've done I'm is going to guess that there's a few people <laughs> listening to this who, who can relate to that. It's just so natural. Like most of us do this and what I, I don't do it perfectly every day, but which is weird that we'll say that it's natural. Yeah. Like if you said these sentences 10 years ago, no one would know what you were talking about. It's true. <laughs> yeah go yeah ahead. Go, go ahead go ahead what i do and and i sometimes i i have to be honest sometimes i don't do this sometimes i get stuck into the facebook thing but when i wake up you know i have i've just said i've written down actually a routine that works for me uh so when i wake up you know first thing i do is grab a glass of water i sit down i have a place outside or inside depending on the weather uh i breathe for two minutes, which sounds kind of crazy, but I'm naturally probably like you, Matthew. I like to charge in right away to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. Nothing makes me happy. When I wake up in the morning, I wake up with a to-do list on my mind and uh, the breathing, it's not like I'm into Eastern spirituality or whatever, but I think what it does for me is just like, just take a couple of minutes to let kind of my soul settle and uh, just so I'm not rushing into like, okay, I got to do this now. And those two minutes, they just slow my heart rate down. They get me in a thing of like, okay, I'm not about accomplishing things right now. So after about two minutes of just breathing, I have an Apple watch. So it has the breathing app. Hmm. I open scripture and I just read for uh, usually about 10, 15 minutes. 
Do you do that with an actual, like a physical Bible or do you? Do you... I do. Yeah. This I, last year I did with an iPad. This year I've gone to a reader's Bible, which has been really handy because there's no verses mm-hmm. and or chapter headings. So it's just like reading a novel yeah. and I found it really refreshing actually. So I just keep reading until I, I reach kind of like a natural break point or I feel like I can't read anymore basically. Sure. And, uh, and then I, I have a short devotional and then I pray uh, and then I actually journal a little bit and uh, then I have a scripture memorization app I use. And then, yeah, basically that's it. So that whole process probably takes anywhere. If I'm in a rush, 20 minutes, typically half an hour to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a lot of time, but I find like, it's easy to half an hour. doesn't seem a long time when you're doing the Facebook uh, thing at the end of that. I wouldn't say, again, it's not like it's a magic secret or anything like that. But generally speaking, if I really engage, uh, I find myself much better prepared for the day and ready to to enter the day with a sense of God's presence. So I'll say that that works for me. That does not work for my wife. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been good to see, like, I wouldn't impose that as a pattern on anybody. Right. But it's good to figure out, you know, through trial and error, what works for you and then to begin to do it. Yeah, so I noticed like um, in the section on habits too, and I think maybe in the back of the book you had some, there's some recommended uh, books for extra reading and things like that. I think you had, was it Charles Duhigg, Power of Habit? Yeah. In there. So I've read that as well and I found that a very helpful book, at least to understand how, like it's kind of a, talks even about like neurology and things like that. So how does the brain, how do you, how do you build habits and how do you rewire things Um and to apply that to the spiritual life, I think is really useful. Um, so if somebody's trying to figure out, like if they're having real trouble, that that might be a place they could go um, to try to, some of it is knowing yourself, but I think that can only take you so far if you're, if you're really stuck um, to try to understand sort of how triggers, triggers work. I don't know if you want to say a little bit about that book or how that may have helped you. I don't know if that was just part of your research or if that was something that helped you figure out how to tweak that morning routine or yeah, so there were a couple of things that helped. Uh, that was one of them. That book is really, really worth reading. Uh, the nutrition company that I talked about, they also did a good job with that. They said, what they did was they said, okay, just take one habit. And, you know, for instance, it would be to take a probiotic as an example, um, and then spend two weeks mastering that one habit. And sometimes it would be like, okay, I think I've got, it's day one. I think I've got this habit down. But they would say, they would spend two weeks saying like, no, actually like, we don't want you to do anything else. We just want, and so they would do, I think over the course of a year, 26 habits, they would stack them. And by the end of the year, even though you're only doing one new habit every two weeks, by the end of the year, you had built 26 new habits into your life wow. that hopefully were, you know, you wouldn't be doing them perfectly, but if you were doing even half of them, it would make a significant difference in your life. Now I find people get overwhelmed. The other place that I found really helpful is, uh, a guy named BJ Fogg, F-O-G-G. Have you heard of him? He's done a program called Tiny Habits. And uh, if you Google BJ Fogg Tiny Habits, you can enroll for free. And his big thing is uh, trying harder doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You really need to build habits. But then there's a particular way he says you need to build habits. And one of them, and I I think uh, Duhigg and the nutrition company would agree, is to make them so ridiculously small 
mm. that you can't help but succeed. So there's you know, another book called Mini Habits that I've yeah, read. Yeah, that's, that's right. I don't Very know similar if author I or, I, but no. I read that and that totally, that's how I wrote my first book. Um, yeah. Is applying that as just it set a ridiculously small daily goal. Like that's so shrink so the habit annoying. until, <laughs> unless you're 80 to 90% sure you can do it consistently, yeah. it's too big. So keep shrinking it. And once you get to the point, so for instance, praying, I can't pray. There's no way I could pray for 20 minutes. Okay. What could you pray? What are you reasonably sure? Is there a good goal for you? Oh, I think I could pray five minutes. Are you 80 to 90% sure you can do that? No. Okay. What about a minute? <laughs> yeah. I'm 80% sure I could pray a minute a day. That's a good goal for you to set. So, um, yeah, I think that whole thing. And then, so the crazy example that BJ Fogg gives is flossing your teeth. Yeah. Uh, he says a lot of us will set the goal. I'm going to floss my teeth every night. And then we end up failing. And what he would say is don't set that goal. Set a goal of flossing one tooth a night. You know, you get the floss out, you, you start flossing one tooth. You're like, I met my goal. And he would say, chances are you're actually going to do all of them. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can just put it away after doing one uh, means you're, you know, that's better than doing nothing if you're overwhelmed. So he's really good. Tiny habits, mini habits, but yeah. um, I like I shrinking can't remember the habit. It was, but the one who wrote mini habits, he, um, he had a, a program called the one Push Up workout. And um, that was, and then afterwards wrote many habits based on that because realized the reason why his workout basically worked was you do one push up, that's it. And that's your goal, your daily goal. But he said eventually, you know, at first you think it's ridiculous to do one push up, but then you think, okay, well, that's my goal. So I'm going to go do it. And then you do one push up, but the likelihood of only doing one because then you feel ridiculous that you've only done one. So you just keep doing a few more. So his first day when he was completely out of shape, I think he did something like five push-ups, and then he thought, "I really actually can't physically do anymore," um, and stopped. You know, and then the next day he thought, "This is really silly, only doing one push-up." But eventually, it was just now he's got a streak going of, you know, he has some days where he literally has only done one push-up, but then there's other days now where he's done twenty-five, um, and then he started adding one of other things. So now it's like, okay, my, now my daily goal, I think I can manage one push-up and one chin-up. You know, so uh, just kept adding on like exactly what you're saying, this sort of stacking of habits. Um, so we had a, I had a conversation with our, our young adult group last year. Um, and one of the things we were talking about was daily Bible reading and then how to, how do we do that and coming up with, um, you know, ways that might be possible. And some were just saying like, we, they really struggled. They tried to read through the Bible in a year. And I think that could be a really great thing, a real powerful thing. Um but I suggested to the one of them, you know, you might want to set a goal of reading one verse a day. And, but then don't stop yourself if you feel like reading more, like, but read your one. And then if you're interested and want to keep going keep going. Um, and there was a couple of people like, wow, that's, that's a really great idea. Or, you know, why don't you leave your Bible like by your bedroom door um, open to where you read yesterday? And if all you have time is for your one verse, all you have to do is stop by your bedroom door when you leave, pick up your Bible, read your one verse, put it back down, and you've you've met your goal. Um, but you're probably going to have some days where you have longer than one second to read your Bible, like you're going to have a little bit longer. So I don't know how many of them ended up doing those kinds of things, but I think those kinds of tricks, it's sort of like a tricking your brain into doing the thing that you know you want to do, but you don't actually do it in the moment. Yeah. 
There's so much helpful material on building habits now. It's amazing. I don't know if you're familiar with Gretchen Rubin. I don't want to keep yeah, throwing yeah. more resources yeah. in there, but she talks about four tendencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people like to build habits. Some people, if you say build a habit, that's almost an invitation for them to go, I'm not going to do it. It's almost like the fact you told them to do it, they're yeah, arguing with exactly. you. And so she's really good at say explaining, like depending on your personality makeup, you need to approach habits differently. But I agree. I would much rather have somebody... Like if you're reading the Bible and praying for two minutes a day, every day, that's a lot better than reading 10 chapters once a month and praying once a month. You know, it's what you do regularly is going to make a much bigger difference in your life than what you do sporadically. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, you're, uh, it's kind of interesting, Gretchen Rubin. I want to talk about joy and happiness a little bit because you have a whole chapter on joy and happiness and uh, especially for those people who might just be thinking, wow, this podcast is a, is it kind of a downer, like discipline <laughs> and, yeah. and growing, like I would, can't we just enjoy ourselves and not worry about all of that? Um, but, uh, but I think you might be actually tapping into the key to, to having a sustainable joy. So um, can you tell us a little more about, uh, about how joy and happiness might actually be central to all of this. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that used to confuse me is the catechism, because it says, you know, question one is, what is the chief end of man? Yeah, yeah. And the answer is, well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I kind of got the glorify God part, but I was confused about the enjoying God part. Yeah, me too. Like, what in the world? Like, that sounds selfish. I used to think like, that meant, oh, I'll be changed so that all of that boring God stuff will become right. Enjoyable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound very enjoyable. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, and then you yeah. look around the church, at least where I grew up, and I grew up in a very good church, with a quirky church, but with the, you know, to this day, I'm grateful for the people there. But I looked around, and I think I got the idea somehow that to become a spiritually mature person meant to be, you know, you need to become this serious a uh, stern person who, you know, basically like you can't imagine them doing anything fun. They're not certainly people you'd invite to a party. But the problem with that is, as the more I read scripture, the more it's just like, you can't escape the idea that God created us for joy. Yeah. You know, I think of the Psalm, Psalm 4, 7 blows my mind. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Hmm. If you think about that, the psalmist is saying there's more joy in following Jesus than in going to a party and having, you know, beer and and wine and everything like that. So, and then even in the book of Acts, the growth of the church is portrayed as the growth of joy, the spread of joy. Mm -hmm. So I began to think about this theologically, and then I began to actually think of the most spiritually mature people that I knew. And I realized, actually, they're joyful people. They're not stern people. They're people who have, um, you know, it's just a joy about them, that no matter how hard life does get. And, and it does get hard. I think the other thing that um, helped me a few years ago is reading, you know, that I, I ended up with a Christian misconception that, oh, well, joy doesn't mean happiness, right? Happiness is yeah, one thing. I've heard that a lot as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, Randy Alcorn blew that apart. He wrote a book called Happiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the conclusions he reaches in the book is you can't make that argument scripturally. When the scripture talks about joy, it is the same thing as happiness. 
Um, it's a happiness that isn't, you know, it's, it's not a happiness that's shallow. It's a deep happiness. But you just can't say, well, I'm joyful, but I'm not happy. Um, that's impossible, he argues. And I really agree with, you know, Spurgeon. Actually, this is a historic Christian teaching uh, because it's a scriptural teaching. But Spurgeon put it best, I think, the happiest state of a Christian is the holiest state. So this is freeing. Uh, what God calls us to is not, you know, suck it up. <laughs> uh, we're, you're just going to have to suffer through this life. Uh, no, okay, following Jesus is a call to suffering, but it's not only that. It's a call to, dis- as Jesus says himself, if you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to, you know, the, the path to following him, which is a path through suffering, is actually a path that leads to ultimate happiness. So uh, that's a, for me, that's a huge, uh, this, this is what makes growth compelling. It's a call to actually pursue my happiness by pursuing God. You don't get happy by pursuing happiness. That doesn't work. But you find happiness by pursuing God. And uh, yeah, I, I love that model of spiritual growth. I think it's a biblical one. I think it's an inviting one. I love too the the first quote was it Psalm forty seven did you say? Yeah, the first one uh, Psalm four verse seven. Psalm four verse seven. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Great, because um, I I really like the phrasing of that saying that God has placed joy in my heart, and that's more than you know wine and. I don't know. Pizza and beer is probably what it would be. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, <laughs> wine and green. Um, and I, I love because for me, that's what I've learned kind of fairly recently over the last couple of years is that true joy and sort of this true happiness, it it's almost this direct, uh, it's a, this direct gift that is just given by God. Um, it's almost like it seems counterintuitive. I agree with you that we pursue God it's not, um, you know, it'd be tempting to say, oh, we've got this w- wonderful wine and this great feast and that's made us happy. Thank you, God, for making us happy with these things. But that's not really how it works, right? It's, to me, it's all almost this, it, it really is this supernatural uh, joy that that comes um, rather than pursuing other things. And it almost comes out of left field through the pursuit of God through spiritual practices. <laughs> like that's, uh, and to me, that's just a, a amazing. Like, I don't even know how that really works. Um, so I'm thinking specifically as well, our family just got back from uh, Disney World vacation. And it was fun. Like, it's happy. You know, it, it's great. But when you get back from the trip, the only thing really left to do is to potentially plan another trip to Disney World and spend another however many thousands of dollars you're going to spend to go there. Um, whereas the joy that God gives, like there's no end to it. It's just this complete, um, it's a completely deep well and it just always keeps giving. So it's there regularly, daily basis, um, and available. Now there's going to be grief. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be times where you don't feel happy. Um, so I think maybe that leads people to say that happiness and joy aren't really the same thing. Um, uh, but I, but I think, I, I don't know, I, to me, it's just this supernatural thing that comes from God that is available to us. Um, and yeah. really not like anything that the world can offer. 
I preached on the Beatitudes recently yeah. and was really struck with, you know, we think blessed are, and the blessed again can sound like it's up in some other spiritual plane. And looking at the language and studying it, it actually, Jesus is saying, these people are living the good life. Yeah. Like they are truly happy. Yeah. Uh, they're ble- There's no English word that well, really corresponds the, with the blessed. That's the King James translation of the yeah. passages. Happy are the, those. Friends. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And if you look at the description, there's no reason they should be. There's no earthly reason why they should be happy. No, no. And yet Jesus is saying these people truly are flourishing. These people, yeah. despite, you know, being persecuted and being poor in spirit, they have the one thing that can't be taken away that's going to provide eternal happiness. So that's the thing. I think that, um, man, there's a wealth of joy uh, that if you think of, we could develop our whole theology of sin, right? Sin promises happiness. And and here's the crazy thing. We know going into sin, it's going to be short-term hit followed by long-term pain. Like we know that going into it, right? right. The, the temptation is dangling there and you know, okay, I'm going to really like it and then I'm going to feel miserable. And we, as sin destroys us, it robs us of our happiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I, I love the picture of Gollum and Lord of the Rings, you know, that it, it really strips us of our humanity and turns us into uh, a less human version of ourselves. Where God's, if you think of Jesus, you know, we're, we're being transformed in the image of Christ. Jesus was the most fully alive person who ever lived. And Jesus wants to restore our humanity so that we become who we were meant to be. Um, we are really, uh, we've gone really long today. I hope that's okay. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to just ask you one other thing. Um, actually, it might just be a comment because it's a section of your book, which is fantastic. It's kind of just going back to habits um, where you talk about habits aren't the point, which is something that you have said on this podcast already. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit from this section of the book. Uh, it's page 109. Habits are essential, but in the end, they aren't the point. If we focus on the habits and the disciplines themselves, we'll become arrogant and judgmental of others who aren't as successful or will become discouraged when we fail. Uh, I thought that was really great. Um, and I've seen that all over the place in the church, actually, um, where, okay, there's the people, uh, I'm someone who's always at Bible study and I pray every day and I'm, and I don't understand why everyone isn't at Bible study. Why isn't everyone in a small group? Um, and almost looking down on those who haven't, um, so it's sort of if we've made, and the church maybe has done that to a great extent, that we've made the things themselves the important thing. Um, and in some churches that might be, you know, volunteering on a committee or whatever it might be. It's uh, it's the participation, it's the Bible study, it's the doing of the activities and the habits that we've made into the thing. And when we do that, it really does lead to looking down on the people who are not doing those things. Um so I, I just love that sentence um, and that reminder. The Pharisees were probably really good at keeping habits, and yet they completely missed the point. So, yeah, we need to be careful about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, yeah. and and I think, again, like that probably brings us back to the beginning of, of the book and probably the beginning of the, of the podcast as well, is that um, is that really this is about the gospel, you know? Um, and 
and, uh, you know, what it means to be saved in Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, even saved from our, from our bad habits, but sometimes even our good intentions that, that go awry. <laughs> we, yeah. we need that constant grace and that daily, that daily grace from God. Definitely. Um, and then also learning to be gracious with, with one another. Um, yeah. And people Absolutely. who are in a different place and things. Yeah. So I, I love the illustrations you have as well. Um, kind of talking about the differences in your personalities between you and your wife. I think that was really helpful in the book and also today. Um, so how can people uh, find the book or find you? I know there's a website that you probably want to point people to as well, where you share a bunch of these same kinds of ideas in, in some different forms. Um, so we're yeah. Yeah. So uh, actually, if you want to go to uh, gospelforlife.com, F-O-R, in the middle of the word, not the number. Um, and there are a couple things you can do is if you go to gospelforlife.com uh, stages slash stages, you can actually take an assessment there and find out what stage of growth you're at. But uh, you can also find me at my personal website, which is dashhouse.com, uh, D-A-S-H. H-O-U-S-E.com. And uh, you can find my blog there. There's a, a page about the book. And you can buy the book anywhere. Amazon, um, any major bookseller should have it. So great. Uh, thanks for doing this today, Daryl. We probably, I, we could have talked forever, especially on joy. Um, yeah. But uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You can always go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you can find all of the old episodes and all of the show notes for those episodes. Also, you can find the podcast on iTunes and I would love it if you could leave a review there. That means so much to me and it helps the podcast become more visible so that others can find these interviews. Thanks again for listening. Take care.